0: Hi, this is Gary Matthews. You're listening to Fightin' Phillies Talk Podcast. And this is Chris Wheeler. Listen to Phillies Talk Podcast.
1: This is the Barons and the Phillies. Listen to Phillies Talk Podcast.
0: Now it's time for some baseball talk on Fightin' Phillies Podcast. Here's Rich Baxter bringing you the latest Phillies news, interviews, and analysis. Everyone and welcome to this edition of Phillies Talk. It's the Phillies Talk podcast, one of the longest-running independent talk shows all about the Phillies. And it's uh, January seventeenth, twenty twenty. With me tonight is Mr. Matt Vizi. How are you, Matt? Super, Rich. How are you doing? Awesome, awesome. Trying to warm up here. We're uh, getting ready for a nice little coating of snow in the area here. As we're talking spring training baseball, one of my favorite times of year to do that. Oh, beautiful. It sounds beautiful. You just said mentioning it sounds beautiful.
1: (laughs) I think we still got, uh, I think we still have maybe, I think it's 28 days. No, 26 days we have as of today. 26 days until Phillies pitchers and catchers report to Clearwater.
0: Yeah, it's going to be uh, nice and early this year. I think they're going to be in well before uh valentine's day this year i was taking a look at the schedule myself this afternoon dreaming of going to spring training i every year about this time i start to think maybe this will be the year and i've been down to clearwater before and in the complex but i've never been down for spring training so around january i start to think maybe this will be the year for a trip
1: i've been there rich but it but it's been a while. The last time I was there was 2011, and that was uh, a good time to be there because that was the obviously the year that they set the record for wins that season. You know, they went on to set the record for wins that season, and you know they were pretty pretty much riding high. to Phillies at that point, Dalton Halliday and Lee and Hamels and the whole crew. You know, Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, everybody was still here.
0: Yeah, that was probably a great time to be down in spring training. It's funny how fast those times seem to to morph into times that we have now with the Phillies. Um, probably wouldn't be, quote-unquote, the ideal time to see them, but uh, still the dreams are there for me. Uh, one of these days I will journey down. Of course uh, if I do, I'll be taking uh, the Phillies Talk podcast along with me and reporting back uh, some things that I see down there, but yeah, as you said, only uh, less than a month to go prior to spring training, and we've had some tremendous turnarounds in baseball, the world of baseball, with a uh, real scandal unfolding in the last week.
1: Yeah, it's been a it's a, it's a usually a quiet time during the game, and it's been anything but since, uh, especially since the new year broke. You would have thought, right now, all the talk would be about the maybe some on the. Hall of Fame election results coming up, which will be announced uh, on Tuesday, and then spring training coming up. But instead, we're faced with these uh, scandals going on from the uh, sign-stealing, cheating operation.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, it really came out of left field with some. Uh, we've heard the rumors over the last several years that this was a possibility, players talking about it. Uh, and if you listen to those players, of course, it had some credence to it. Uh, but finally, Major League Baseball sort of lowered the boom on people.
1: <clears throat> yeah, what happened? Uh, uh, some, you know, people, I'm sure, have heard that something's going on and you know, scandal and cheating. But uh, take a few minutes, and I'll give, you a, give the listeners a rundown on exactly what happened so everybody's up to date. And what happened was that a report came out back in mid-November. In the Athletic, and I believe it might have even been Ken Rosenthal who broke it, but uh, that report quoted former Astros pitcher Mike Fa- Mike Fiers, who Fiers um, is no longer with the Astros. He was with them from 2015 to 17, but he stated that members of the Astros had coordinated a cheating operation in which they illicitly stole opposing teams by using video feeds and then communicating them to the Houston batters. MLB started an investigation and then earlier this week Rob Manford, Commissioner of Baseball, came down with punishments. <clears throat> Houston's manager A.J. Hinch, their GM Jeff Lunau, were suspended by Major League Baseball for one year. The Astros were made to forfeit their first and second round draft picks in each of the next two years, that's 2020 and 2021, and the franchise was fined $5 million, which is the maximum that's allowable uh, based on the current MLB rules and constitution. In the aftermath of that, Houston's ownership fired both Lunau and Hinch, who ran the club during the period that the scandal was taking place. Lunau claimed he had no knowledge of the operation. Uh, Hinch is known to have destroyed a pair of of video monitors that were used to run the operation when he was alerted of what was happening. He acknowledged that while he didn't endorse or participate in the sign stealing, he should have reported it to Lunau ownership and MLB. Now, you can remember remember there there were some negative comments that were in Manfred's. Report. Uh, He described the culture of the Houston Baseball Operations Department as, quote, in his words, very problematic. And if you remember, just prior to that, Houston's assistant GM, Brandon Taubman, had been fired uh, after he engaged in a expletive laden tirade towards female reporters during the 2018 playoffs. Uh, MLB suspended Taubman through the 2020 season as a result of that particular incident. Two different incidents, but all involving Houston. And um, Manfred, in his report this week, said that the Astros, quote, this is Manfred, valued and rewarded results over other considerations, uh, combined with a staff of individuals who often lacked direction or sufficient oversight that led, at least in part, to Taubman's incident. Now, As if that's not all enough, you know, sign stealing, using technology, uh, you know, treating female reporters inappropriately using, you know, uh, expletives in your locker room, um, you know, towards those female reporters. As if all this as a culture isn't bad enough and the resulting firings, claims then surfaced on social media this week that, as part of Houston's scheme, players at times wore buzzers, what are described as buzzers, under their uniforms to alert them when certain pitches were coming in after signs had been stolen. And it was suggested by some, there's a famous video out there that most most who care about it have probably seen already, <clears throat> that uh, this was the reason that Jose Altuve vehemently motioned for his teammates not to pull off his jersey as he reached home plate, which was kind of their custom uh, after he had a walk-off home run in the ALCS versus the Yankees that year. So a lot of crazy stuff about the Astros, but that's not all of it. Now, you you know, that's enough, right? Well, Alex Cora, who managed the Boston Red Sox to the 2018 World Series championship, he's been fired as manager in Boston. Turned out he was the Astros bench coach during the period that the scandal took place. Korra was identified by the MLB report as being a quote ringleader in the Astro sign stealing operation back then. Now keep in mind with Boston that the Red Sox had been fined the previous year, 2017, for using Apple Watches as part of a sign stealing scheme. And in the aftermath of that, Manfred had warned that any team that was caught cheating similarly would be severely disciplined. <clears throat> you had enough. <laughs> well, there's one more, Carlos Beltran, who was just hired as the Mets manager, given his first opportunity to manage in the big leagues. He's dismissed as skipper of the Mets. Some have said, you know, he was allowed to resign or he he said he should step aside. But if you read the reports that came out, Beltran was released by the Mets. <clears throat> That's before he even managed a game, a single game. Beltran was an Astros player during the period in which the scandal took place, and he was reportedly a, quote, central figure in concocting that scheme. So a lot of fallout there. We lost, you know, three managers, a general manager, uh, and all those positions are still open at this point. Now, Phillies fans might recall, since we're a Phillies, you know, uh, uh, you know, conversation here. That back in the 2010 season, not that long ago, their bullpen coach Mick Billmeyer was caught using binoculars during the game, sitting out in the. And a lot of it was there was some levity there. There were a lot of you know the memes that came out about Billmeyer on the internet. Uh, that happened in Colorado and the Rockies were concerned that Billmeyer was trying to steal signs. Manager Charlie Manuel at that time said that he wasn't that they that they would have to be stupid to do something that obvious and that Bill Meyer was only observing catcher Carlos Ruiz's setup behind the plate and to give him tips. But the Mets had earlier accused the Phillies of stealing signs by use of a center field video camera back in 2007. The Red Sox accused the Phillies and during the 2008 World Series season of stealing signs, Larry Boa, who then in 2010 was a third base coach with the Dodgers. He had been the Phillies manager, as everybody knows, from in the early part of the 21st century, 2001-04, to I believe it was. And Boa, when that Bill Meyer incident came out, stated, quote, There's rumors going around that when you play the Phillies, there's a camera somewhere or bullpen people are giving signs. And catchers are constantly changing signs. That's the rumor. Now, is it proven? No. So Boa kind of like saying, "Is it proven? No," which means I think I think we're all sharp enough to know. Boa's is sharp enough to know. We think it's going on. We just can't prove it. So it's not like the Phillies have never, you know, uh, had their hands dirty in this type of incident.
0: Yeah, it seems like not too long ago with the Bill Meyer incident, as you said, and the argument can be made are you using technology when you're using a set of binoculars well yeah you're you're doing something you're not supposed to do but you know in this day and age in baseball everything they're on a stage out there and we heard the rumors time and time again the astros were making noises in the dugout um uh, whistles at various times other games Uh, We heard a lot of this rumored. We saw the YouTube videos by players, uh, you know, basically telling that, yes, this is the truth. It took MLB a long time, but it seems like the the wanton disregard for, you know, the rules of baseball have have really landed the Houston Astros where they don't want to be. Now, the owner uh, claims he had no knowledge of this and i i wonder if that's true i mean is he in a a glass house somewhere and he doesn't hear any of these rumors or or isn't privy to it uh, what's your take on that do you think the owner of the astros knew something about this i don't
1: i don't think ownership had any knowledge whatsoever uh, that that was part of the investigation they looked at the astros for for i believe a 3 year period uh, it was a pretty Exhaustive investigation is my understanding for, from everything that I've read, and I don't think that Astro's ownership has, has anything at all uh, as far as guilt uh, to be concerned with, and, and I don't believe that they knew. And in fact, I really don't see it being that far-fetched that Lunau, the, the general manager, didn't know what was going on. Um, clearly, A.J. Hinch knew something was going on. Yeah. Um, Hinch's, if I can uh, bring it up again, and Hinch's uh, quote actually in the aftermath as to his own involvement was that he didn't participate in it or he didn't, um, geez, I, you know, I can't remember his exact, on I'm having a hard time finding his exact quotes, but like he didn't initiate it and he didn't participate, but he was made aware that it was going on. And it did become knowledgeable that he actually destroyed a pair of um, monitors that were used in the operation when he found out about it. But again, he knew and didn't pass the information along to management, upper management, to uh, ownership, to Major League Baseball. So while Hinch may not have been cheating himself, he knew that there were his players and maybe some coaches and others had a, had a operation going on and he didn't do anything to stop it. Uh, Lunau very well could have been ignorant, but you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, you could say, while while he may be upset and he was, he made some statements to the fact that I'm not a cheater. He specifically said that Uh, he may not be a cheater, but he's, there's a problem if he doesn't have a relationship with his manager that his manager can feels like he can trust him enough to to go to him
0: and say, "Look, we got a big problem here." Right, and you wonder how deep it actually went with uh, the allegations that there were some buzzers being worn, that sort of thing. Uh, Carlos Beltran, what sort of association he had, and all this was one of he the uh, guys that uh, initiated this. All to happen. You don't really know. Maybe it'll come out one day, but uh, they certainly paid a, a hefty price for this. And as much as salary and reputation, uh, you can't get much worse now uh, when you're involved in something like this.
1: Now, and the big thing for MLB going forward is going to be addressing the issue of technology and devices uh, in the game. And, and somehow they're going to have to. Uh, it, it's just my opinion. You're, you're gonna have to eliminate. You're gonna have to eliminate the usage of technology and devices during the game, uh, on the field, in the dugouts, in the anywhere, anywhere within the playing, you know, area. Um, you know, how they do that, or what their, you know, what the vehicle is they use to police that, I don't know. But that's going to be what the big thing they're gonna have to work out. The, the idea of stealing signs. Stealing, signs have been stolen since the beginning of the game when, when teams invented signs, you know, right. when, when the first baseball teams came up with signs to, to try to, uh, uh, um, communicate different things, whether it's to steal or not steal or what pitch to throw or whatever. When you come up with a, a code, if you will, like that, you're always going to have somebody who's trying to decipher your code and that's fine. uh. uh I heard uh, it was really well put by Dan Plisak on MLB Network a couple of nights ago, where Plisak was basically saying, "Look, if I'm if I'm out there and I'm tipping my pitches, or you know, my catcher is being careless and throwing down, you know, these signs, and uh, you know, everybody in the ballpark, half the ballpark is seeing it and they're able to read it. Well, that's that's on me and my team. You know, we're we're doing our job bad, you know, and hiding the signs from you, but." To use cameras and, uh, you know, watches or whatever, you know, Apple Watches or other, you know, technological devices, buzzers under your uniform and things like that, You're, you're now you're getting crazy. Um, and at some point, it's, you know, like I said, now, well, this is the point. You know, MLB is going to put a stop to it and they're going to have to now come up for, with a way to, you know, and uh, sure, you're going to have to try to ensure that it doesn't happen. The, the public, when they go to a game, they want to know everything's on the up and up, all the teams. you know, Everybody has the same chance to win as the other, and it's really based on talent. Talent is what wins baseball games. We want to see the players play. We don't want to see you steal in games. Um, the Yankees lost to the Astros in seven games in that ALCS. that uh, was a, a good World Series that, uh, that the Astros won over the Dodgers did the yankees and the dodgers get robbed you know did the talent that they put out on the field get robbed because <clears throat> the astros were using technology you know to defeat them rather than skill you know of their players and and if you also keep in mind the astros had a really good team i mean they were good players you would you would think just look lay, lay your team out there on the field play the other team heads up you know head to head and best team win but uh, somebody, whether you know, somewhere in that mixture of Cora and Beltran and others that were involved, decided, "Hey, this isn't technically against the rules, so we're going to get away with as much as we can for as long as we can." Well, they did, and here's the fallout.
0: Exactly, and uh, one of the stories that was released after the scandal broke and punishments were handed down supposedly that the MLB. Uh, told the Dodgers not to comment about the situation. That's going a little bit far, I think, um, especially in this day and age where it's supposed to be somewhat of a freedom of speech. I uh, wonder if that's true. You, you see it you know, being reported here and there, uh, but apparently like a gag order put on certain teams, they didn't want them commenting on it.
1: Well, and uh, <clears throat> probably the the one guy who right now can uh, do something like this, Cody Bellinger, he tweeted out yesterday. His quote on Twitter was, "For the sake of the game, I hope this isn't true. If true, there needs to be major consequences to the players. That completely ruins the integrity of the game." And what he was talking about was not that the you know that he doesn't hope that the the whole incident isn't true because we all know that the incident is true now. We've, we've seen the investigation results. What he's talking about is the idea of the players wearing buzzers under their uniforms, uh, and then players not having any consequences. Um, I've seen a number of players who have come out, um, mostly retired players, but and that's probably because of Manfred's edict, his his uh, you know b- button it up edict, but. Uh, some some uh, current players also saying that there should be consequences to the players. So you know we'll see. It seems like you know Manfred right now is of the of the mind that management will pay for this uh, at, at least in the this current incident involving the Astros and not
0: players. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I'm reading uh, online right now. Apparently uh, because of the scandal here, uh, some devices were suggested, uh, possibly for use by the MLB to defeat the possibility of being able to steal signs. And one of them here it says a device in development described by league sources, a wearable random number generator, sim- <laughs> <laughs> similar to a. Push password used for secure logins that corresponds to which sign in a sequence is relevant. So, good Lord. Yeah, all kinds of uh, crazy proposals uh, being written about and uh, thrown around as far as that. But I've always thought that instant replay is a little bit in the form of quote unquote cheating when the dugout picks up the phone. They're calling up to the video room, hey, is he safe or out? That, to me, is cheating. I would think that that decision should come from the dugout and the dugout only. How can you pick up a phone and call somebody that's already watching three or four replays of a play if they should challenge it? It, To me, that's cheating. Yeah, that's a little little bit of – for me, that's a a, a bit of a
1: gray area only because (sighs) – you're given. You're only given a certain number of challenges, and some of those plays are really bang bang. Right. And so, it, you know, to give to give a you know a coach that you might have up in the uh, in the broadcast booth or wherever you have them in some coach's box who has access to replay to give him a, a you know a one shot or a couple of shot you know a couple seconds to look at it and say all right you know. We do think that this should be a challenge. I I don't have a big problem on challenges. I don't think that that's cheating. I don't think – to me, cheating gives you an advantage. I don't think that's giving anybody advantage. You're just trying to get something right. You're getting, trying to get it right or wrong. It happened already. It happened right. already that the play is over. He was ruled safe or he was ruled out. Now, you are in to challenge that ruling. You're not changing anything. You're not making something happen happen. Do you know what I mean? It happened. It's just a question of getting it right now. And I think everybody—and this is the whole issue with replay in football or in baseball or any sport—is that we want to get the call right. You know, how many times have we seen calls? Uh, the Kansas City-St. Louis World Series in the 1980s, and so many others, where the the entire outcome of a championship or at least a game was determined by a bad call. You know that it, it shouldn't have happened it did because of human error but uh, I think we all want to get it right so I think the technology usage to to get something right I don't, I don't consider that cheating and to to have a, a device that allows you to look at it and say uh, yo yeah, that you know we think that that was a bad call and then you look at your device and you go that was a bad call <laughs> you know and then you challenge it I don't think that I don't see that as cheating I think it as you know verifying you could look at your device also and go uh, man, that was right. <laughs> you know, yeah. our guy is out. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know what the answers are, but yeah, I don't, for me, I don't see the replay thing the same, but, uh, and, and even the stealing signs, I mean, stealing signs is not specifically against the rules in Major League Baseball. Like I said, it's been done for over a century or however long we've had signs, but <clears throat> the, Technology is, you know, invading all of our lives a lot more, and you know, baseball is just going to have to figure out how much does it want uh, technology to be, you know, pervasive and invasive of the game.
0: Yes, indeed. I did a little research on any Philly scandals that I could find online uh, this evening, and I brought up one from 1920. Believe it or not, I have a subscription to a site called newspapers.com where you can look up different stories over the years and uh, brought up one going back to September 8th of 1920. It says a grand jury investigation was ordered yesterday in criminal court of the charges that gamblers attempted to fix the Chicago-Philadelphia National League baseball game of August 31st for Philadelphia to win. The Phillies won the game 3 to nothing. A um, little story there on how gamblers uh, apparently tried to rig this game. Um, haven't really followed up on it yet to see if I could find out more about it. But uh, definitely something I didn't know before I uh, did this podcast and, of course, the research for it. So uh, it, it actually started me thinking about today in this area and this Day and age in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and across the country, with the sports betting becoming more prevalent, the eyes could turn to that soon. You never know.
1: Yes, yeah, the, the fallout of this is you know it's already we've already seen fallout as far as discipline goes in MLB and people being fired. But the 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 long term fallout of you know what rules are going to come out and what procedures are going to come out. It's it's going to be interesting to see.
0: Yes, it will. Uh, continuing on with the show here, uh, I this week finally brought up a web page that you could buy the Phillies Nike jersey. I was looking for it around the holidays, couldn't find it for sale yet up through the Christmas season. Of course, Nike getting the contract um, after Under Armour apparently. Uh, didn't have enough wherewithal to fulfill the contract. Under Armour was supposed to be the supplier of Major League Baseball jerseys this year. But it was in turn awarded to Nike. And I finally found the price out of a Phillies Nike jersey. Did you happen to see that online yet? <laughs> I
1: saw your post. It's
0: like $300 <laughs> and something, dollars, right? $359.99. I was oh, no, thank thinking you. to myself, I... You know, I'd like an official jersey, but I don't like it that much.
1: Hard pass.
0: Yeah, even at 20% off or 25% off, I'm thinking uh, you're in in the high twos with that, and that's calling it a little much. Uh, My last jersey I purchased was a Cole Hamels 2008 season jersey, and uh, maybe that'll be my last one, but... uh, Bought that at Citizens Bank Park many moons ago, and uh, you know, at the prices that they're selling these jerseys at, you really have to uh, want that baseball jersey.
1: Yeah, my. It's funny you bring that up because I have a recent, uh, to me humorous Phillies jersey story in that I sprung for a Bryce Harper uh, powder blue uh, late. In in well, it was actually after the season. It was like a, a, a late fall, maybe uh, pre Christmas, and it was the old, not the new, you know, three hundred and some dollar jersey. So it was a pretty decent price. So right. I grabbed it, and they were having a you know Christmas or Christmas sale. It was early, early December, maybe late November. Grabbed it for myself, and I was like, ah, oh, it came in the mail. I'm like, all right, I got it. ready for next year. I got a nice bright powder blue. And then here, uh, Christmas time came, and uh, we're over at my brother's house for Christmas. And I open up uh, my present from my brother, and I, as soon as I opened it, I knew what it was: powder blue Bryce Harper jersey. I was wow. like, "Oh my god!" Dude, he never bought me a jersey before in my life, and I, and I and I don't. The last Philly jersey I bought was on the boardwalk in Seaside Heights, about. Ten or fifteen years ago, and it was an old Dave Cash jersey that I found wow. in the in the back of a store, and I bought that about fifteen years ago. And that's the last Phillies jersey I bought before this. So it's funny that I bought this powder blue Harper jersey, and then I got one for from my brother for Christmas. So I I ended up keeping both of them because they were different, actually different brands. Mm-hmm. and uh, they were cut a little bit different. One's a little snugger than the other one, even though they're the same size. So right. uh, I'm going to hold on to b- both of them, and, you know, I have the one that fits perfect for now, and then uh, eh, hopefully I drop a little weight and I can fit in the other one. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds good, and uh, looking forward to the start of the season. A lot of new uh, players wearing some new numbers. Uh, Didi Gregorius uh, on the team now, and uh, Zach Wheeler taking the mound for the Phillies, mm. uh, an old familiar number. Wheeler's going to wear him. Sort of surprised he would wear Tugger's old number.
1: Yeah, um, you know it's uh, he's a he's a Wall of Famer. He's certainly never going to be Tug's never going to be a Baseball Hall of Famer, and we know that uh, that the um, the club's policy is only to retire Hall of at least at this point Hall of Famer jersey numbers. So I I guess you know at a certain point do do you have to move on or you know I I kind of you know I'm from Tug's age you know just as you were so you know to me that's his number but you know I, I kind of understand you know do you want to get to be like the Yankees where where you're retiring you know. Two dozen numbers, you know, and then you have all every half decent number on the team is sucked up. And every people be like the NFL at some point, you know, your guys are wearing numbers in their fifth in the 50s. But uh, uh, I, I guess I don't have a big problem with it, but I do understand. I understand the the, the sentimentality, you know, of tug yeah. and, uh, tugs, tugs, tug. You know, we're always going to feel the way we do about them, even if somebody else is wearing 45 and uh maybe by the time he's done here we'll you know be with any luck we'll feel that way about wheeler <laughs> that'd be tough but uh, if he wins the world series it'll make it a lot easier
0: that's true well some non-roster invitees to spring training will be making their uh, spring training debuts for the phillies uh, some of them alec Baum coming in onto the field for the phillies and i know you're a big fan of his Uh, Matt just a little bit
1: yeah he and uh, pitcher Spencer Howard are top pitching and top position prospects so of course you know you're excited to get to see these young guys uh, come up and hopefully help out the ball clubs Uh, Spencer Howard is going to turn 24 at the end of July so he'll be 23 for the start of the season and my feeling based on his his Howard's uh, experience to this point is that He'll start at AAA, and he'll just await a potential opening. So I don't think we're going to see Howard until the summertime, maybe like June, maybe even after the All-Star break. So somewhere around his 24th birthday, we should be ready to see Spencer Howard, assuming he stays healthy and continues to produce the way he has. And boom has a chance to win the third base job right out of spring training, in my opinion. He, Boehm, is 23. He turns 24 a week after Howard turns 24, uh, August 3rd. So, Bohm this will be his age 23 season. And, you know, young guy. He's got a lot of power. He's good hitter. He's patient. Uh, the offensive game is not really his question mark. It's the defense, You know, he's, he's probably never going to be anything more than just passable at third base. He's never going to be a gold glove contender. But if he can just be good enough to not hurt the Phillies, if he's a middle-of-the-road third baseman, then his offensive game is going to profile enough that he'll be a, an asset for them. Um, I don't know that he's ever going to have that big booming power enough that you would think of classically at first base. Uh, And he's never going to be a gold glover at first base either. So it might be Bohm might turn out to be one of those cases where the Phillies are hoping that after the 2021 season, when they negotiate a new contract with the players, that MLB ends up having the designated hitter in the National League starting with the 2022 season. Uh, That would help out the Phillies as far as having guys like Bohm and uh, Reese Hoskins, you know on the same ball club, so yeah we 'll see what happens, but Bohm's certainly going to break in as a third baseman, and you know, I'm excited to see him,
0: yeah, Mickey Moniak as well uh philly's first uh pick a few years ago is growing up uh, very fast, and uh he's going to be at spring training, and a, a local guy around from south jersey i don't know if you know the name Matt Serger is going to be uh <laughs> There as well.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's actually not, not to be corrective, but it's actually pronounced Caesar. Not Caesar. Caesar. And yeah, yeah uh, I, my <laughs> wife and I actually met his family outside of uh, the, the uh, right at the oh, God, I'm drawing a blank, but uh, right outside one of the entrances to the ballpark. Uh-huh. And Uh, it was, the gates hadn't opened yet and we were sitting there, the Phillies were playing the Cubs last year and there was a family there with Cubs jerseys on. I noticed, you know, I just happened to notice at one point they were wearing the Cubs jersey was his his jersey, Mm -hmm. Caesar. And then I clicked in with me that he's from our area. So I asked, I did ask them, I said, you know, excuse me, you guys, uh, do you guys happen to know Caesar? I'm I'm thinking they have to, you know? Yeah. And it turned out they did there. Like his aunt and uncle, or something like that, they were really excited to come see him play. I believe he went to Villanova, Caesar. So, uh, uh, Robin Roberts, as we were sitting at Robin Roberts' statue when we saw the family. So, yeah, yeah he. They, I don't know how much he's going to, you know, contribute. Uh, he's thirty years old now, so he's not a kid. He's got a few years under his belt, um, but uh, you know, we'll see. He's going to have an opportunity to make it as a bench player, or or, or maybe. Down to AAA and wait for an opportunity there. And, you know, him along with guys like uh, the infielders they bought in, Phil Gosselin's back, Josh Harrison was signed, Ronald Torres was signed, uh, Mickey uh, Matuk, uh, the outfielder, Mikey Matuk, a catcher, Christian Bethenthorcourt. These are guys that have some MLB experience and they're going to come to camp and try to win a job or at the very least impress another organization so they'll have a shot there or go to triple a lehigh valley and wait for an opening
0: yes caesar and trout in the area of south jersey were always talked about in the local papers down here every day uh in their high school careers and on and then of course when they got promoted to the mlb and made that of course every day you know this is what this player did this is what this player did and they were they were very much uh, similar players in high school and of course trout ended up blowing through all expectations and uh, for sure is a, a future Hall of Famer for baseball. But uh, it was fun even watching that, you know, rivalry down in the South Jersey area back then uh, through high school.
1: Well, one thing Caesar can does have bragging rights on Trout on is that Caesar has a world series ring from the 2016 Chicago Cubs. Yeah. Uh, he played in 107 games for of cubs that year i don't believe he played in the postseason at all in fact looking at his career record he's never played a postseason game but he did get into 107 games that season he, he earned himself a ring so he's got that over uh over trout at this point
0: yes he does and uh, speaking of future hall of famers uh just in a few days now they'll be announcing the results of the baseball writers of america association's Picks for the Hall of Fame uh, A lot of big names of course As always uh, Who will make it in That's a question mark at this time uh, Will any of the steroid guys uh, Be promoted to the Hall of Fame They seem like they're Inching closer and closer each year As uh, as the years start to roll on um, Any favorite picks that you have
1: Well it's a, it's a slam dunk That Derek Jeter's going in now, The question with Jeter's going to be does he is he is he named on 100% of the ballots the way Mariano Rivera was his longtime teammate I, I personally don't think he's going to because there were there were always those guys out there who criticized, had some kind of criticism for Jeter during his career and the last it was just a couple a few hours ago the last we have a guy Ryan Thibodeau, on uh, twitter who follows publicly named revealed ballots and 40% of the voters are known at this point they're who they're going to vote for and Jeter is still at a hundred percent of the 40% of the publicly named ballots <clears throat> but what traditionally happens is that those guys who do not reveal their ballot they don't reveal it for a reason and it's usually because they don't feel like getting criticized and otherwise, why wouldn't you reveal your ballot? If you if you had nothing to be worried about or ashamed about, or you know, why not reveal your ballot? What, you know, is such a big secret, you know, a state secret or something. So f- at this point, point, forty percent of the people have revealed their ballot publicly. Thibodeau's uh, tracking has it at a hundred percent for Jeter, but I have a feeling somewhere in there. When you think about people like Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and Mike Schmidt and guys like that, that did not get 100% of the vote, uh, that Rivera is the only player ever, and something just tells me you're going to see Jeter. Somebody's going to leave him off. Uh, the, the interesting case after that, I think the, the, there's four really four interesting cases after that. The biggest one is Larry Walker. He's in his final year of eligibility. He's tracking right now at 85% of the publicly known ballot. But historically, uh, that, uh, in my experience watching this, that can be up to 10% heavy, meaning that the actual ballots in the end will come out about 10% lighter than what they're tracking at. So Walker tracking at 85%, you need 75% to get in. So I think in the end, Walker's right there. He's going to be You know, razor thin on one side or the other. Uh, The third interest, second interesting guy, uh, third place name on the ballot right now is Curt Schilling, former Philly. He's polling at 79 percent of the public ballot, which would mean he gets in. And I do believe Schilling is going to be a Hall of Famer at some point. He still has a couple years after this on the ballot. But if you go by that 10 percent rule then that's 79%. In the end, you might see Schilling more at 68 to 70% uh, in the final tabulations. Now, last year, Schilling finished at 60.9%. So he's he's certainly going to go up this year. And I think you may be setting Schilling up for a 2021 uh, election to the Hall of Fame. But there's there's a chance he could slip in. If he, if he does make it this year, He'll, he'll slip in on a razor-thin margin. And then finally, you got Bonds and Clemens. Um, Bonds and Clemens are the, as you mentioned, the PED cases. Uh, right now, Bonds is pulling slightly ahead of Clemens, Bonds is at 73.7, Clemens at 72.5. Neither one of those would be enough to get in, they would be just short of that 75%. Both guys still have a couple of years left on the ballot. Both were only polling at around 59% last year. So there's been a a big uptick for those guys. But if they do drop 10%, then that uptick instead of big is going to be slight. It's going to go from 59 to maybe 63, 64 for each of them. And I think Bonds and Clemens, they're going to be very interesting. Uh, I think we're going to see Schilling get in in 2021. And Bonds and Clemens, it'll be interesting to see if they can get closer to 70% next year because the following year will be their last on the ballot. The other guy that's of interest to me is Scott Rowland, uh, former Philly, um, really made his career, had a sensational start here in Philadelphia, but he really made his career in St. Louis and did pretty well in Cincinnati and Toronto after that. But Rowland last year in his second year on the ballot only – posted 17.2 percent of the vote this year he is the highest riser Uh, he is right now polling at in sixth place so behind the guys we've discussed so far and he is polling at 49.7 percent of the known vote so it looks like he's probably in the end going to finish with about 40 percent maybe in the low 40s and that's not bad at all when you when you know the history of voting in the Hall of Fame Roland having gone from 17% last year to to 40, maybe 42 or so percent this year, that bodes well considering that he has seven years still more on the ballot uh, to raise. And he has a fantastic case. Uh, I made it a little bit in my own ballot. Uh, The Internet Baseball Writers Association of America membership casts a ballot every year the only players that were different on this year's IBWAA ballot, the only players that were different from the the standard baseball writers ballot were Bonds and Clemens. Bonds and Clemens have already been voted in by the IBWAA. So this year, I voted for a half dozen players. I voted for Jeter, and I voted for Schilling, and I voted for Larry Walker. And the other three that received my vote this year were... Andrew Jones, who played 17 seasons, pretty much everybody remembers him from with the Braves, five-time All-Star, 10-time Gold Glover. Uh, He was a runner-up for the 2005 NL MVP, won the Hank Aaron Award that year, 434 career homers, 152 steals, uh, 124 outfield assists. He's the Atlanta Braves Hall of Famer. So uh, Andrew Jones got my vote this year. And also getting my vote this year was Billy Wagner former Phillies closer. He had 16 years in the big leagues. He was a seven-time All-Star. He was a 1999 Rollies Relief Man Award winner. He uh, had a pitch in a combined no-hitter, had 422 saves nine times. He saved more than 30 games, uh, struck out 1,196 batters in 903 innings, and he was a top-six Cy Younger twice. Uh, His 11.9 strikeouts per nine Billy Wagner is the highest of any major league pitcher ever who's thrown at least 800 innings pitched. So, certainly one of the uh, best closers of all time and of the last generation. And then my last ballot went to Roland. I won't say he was last, but he's my the sixth guy. Uh-huh. And when you look down Roland's career, he played 17 seasons. He was the 1997 NL Rookie of the Year. He's a seven time All Star. He won eight gold gloves. Won a silver slugger. He was a 2006 world champion with the Cardinals and a key player on that team. Has 316 career homers, 517 career doubles, 118 steals. He's a member of the Cardinals Hall of Fame and arguably should be on the Phillies Wall of Fame. I think you can make a good argument for that. So uh, those were my six guys, and I think you're going to see Roland get in there at some point.
0: Yeah, it seems like uh, Scott Rowland's Phillies years, which go back into the mid 90s, starting off when he was only 21 years of age, uh, rolled on through the 2002 season, uh, middle of that, towards the end when he was uh, dealt over to St. Louis. Uh, but for some reason, I go to the baseballreference.com page. And I bring up a lot of those great statistics, but I like to go down to the bottom of the page, and it'll say similar scores, your Hall of Fame statistics. They have a different category for all that, and they'll break down the different numbers, and they'll give you different player names that were similar to Roland. And here's a couple of them. Uh, Matt Holliday, Paul O'Neill, Sean Green, Bobby Bonilla, when you bring up those names, you're like, oh, yeah, those those guys are great. You know, they were good players, solid players. Were they Hall of Fame? Well, not quite. They just they almost attained the Hall of Fame. Now, Scott Rowland being in a third baseman, uh, possibly he'll get in. He's early in the voting so far. Uh, with the, uh, hall of fame voting here, just a couple of years into it, will he get in possibly, but some of the players that he's associated with are just guys that you would mention the name and say, Oh yeah, Bobby Bonilla. He was yeah, great player, good player, <clears throat> Sean Green. Yeah. He could knock the ball out of the park quite a lot. And, uh, just Scott Rowland, it just. Never occurred to me that he was a Hall of Fame player. Now, will he get in? Yes. And have other players possibly, you know, his caliber got into the Hall of Fame? Yes, of course. You know, is it possible he'll get in? Yeah, I think it is. And wouldn't be the worst thing to ever happen. Of course, he's ex-Philly, although he didn't leave the city too well, um, apparently, (laughs) from memory. Going back a few years, um, but uh, we'll see what happens with him. It's uh, always be great to see a Philly go in.
1: Yeah, those. Uh, if you look at that same area that you were looking there, I don't know where they come up with those comps, but uh, the, his jaws ranking, which is a sabermetrician, Jay Jaffe for baseball prospectus uh, created Jaws in 2004 and it's basically a player's career war average with his seven-year peak war and it's been pretty well accepted as a a standard of measurement for worthiness Hall of Fame worthiness and Roland of the all-time players that ever played the game at third base Roland comes out with a tenth all-time in Jaws at third base The nine players who are ahead of Roland on that list, eight of the nine are Hall of Famers already. The only one who isn't is Adrian Beltre, who we know will be a Hall of Famer. So all nine players ahead of Roland on the Jaws' all-time rankings are Hall of Famers. Players like Edgar Martinez, home run Baker, uh, John McGraw behind Deacon White. There's a a number of players, George Kell, who are behind Roland. On the draws ranking are Hall of Famers, so Scott Rowland is arguably, and you don't have to really, I mean, I mean, I would I would argue to tell me who who would replace him. You don't have to make too hard an argument to say that Scott Rowland is a top 10 third baseman of all time in Major League Baseball, and thus at that position, top ten all time of baseball in hundred and you know thirty some years the game's been played at the Major League level, he's a Hall of Famer to me.
0: Yeah, and you have to go back, um, if you can, if you go back that far in Phillies history and wonder what happened with him in the Phillies. That's going to be the topic of another Phillies Talk podcast uh, for sure. Maybe we can bring up Roland's career and sort of uh, bring back a uh, a memory for a lot of the people that might have not been uh, a fan back then. We'll, we'll go through his career and maybe uh, – Uh, set it up for why the Phillies didn't keep him. Could have he been another Mike Schmidt, stayed with the Phillies his whole career? He seemed to have uh, a great career, as you said, with the Cardinals, uh, probably rivaling his Philly years, even though he's Rookie of the Year in 97. So it'll be interesting to see how high he uh, ranks up with the voting of this year's Hall of Fame. Yeah, I don't. Again, he's not going to make it this year,
1: but you know, I think a, a finish in the forty percent range and a little bit above that will be super for him. And he like said he's still got seven years, so he'll be one of those guys that I think you'll see rise incrementally over the next, you know, four or five years. And we'll be talking about him in two thousand and twenty-five, you know, two thousand twenty-six. The way that we're talking about chilling now.
0: All right. Well, thank you for all tuning in to this edition of Phillies Talk Podcast. Uh, You can go to my blog over at fightinphillies.com, the home for the Phillies Talk Podcast for the past uh, 13 years or so, 14 years now. Uh, Check it out. It's revised and revamped. If you haven't been over to the blog lately, I'd like to invite you over there. There's some links up top for the Twitter feed, the Facebook feed. We have a Patreon feed. You can check that out as well. Become a sponsor of the podcast and the blog. Uh, Just had a guy the other day pass his third year of being a Patreon supporter at at, uh, Philly's Talk Podcast and the FightinPhillies.com blog. So check it out there. And Matt, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you on the Internet? Well,
1: the best place is at Philly's Bell. That's at Philly's Bell on Twitter, and it's also on Instagram and Facebook, the same exact handle, at Phillies Bell. And they can uh, read on my articles as well as podcast links. And I'll, as soon as you put it up, I'll put a link to this podcast there on mattveasy.com. That's M-A-T-T-V-E-A-S-E-Y, mattveasy.com. And uh, on there, they can find my uh, article on that IBWA Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, Some of the more recent articles that I wrote about involved the JT Real Muto contract situation and uh, the Phillies looking at right-handed hitting center fielders as an alternative and uh, some uh, some articles on the Phillies pitching, uh, how Andrew is doing, uh, what the team will need from Bryce Harper coming up, uh, some of the free agents that are still available. So, Plenty of Phillies uh, talk there.
0: Yeah, a ton of topics. You, as you went through them, I was like, oh, we should have talked about that on this show. Well, we, could, <laughs> we could talk about the middle infield for a half hour. Well,
1: the it's, good one is I do a, uh, I do in the offseason a series that I've called, probably for the last four years I've been doing, it, called Philography, where I do a, kind of a mini bio of famous Phillies players from the past uh, careers. And I did Steve Carlton back in December. Coming up in January, probably next week, I'll be doing the next in the series, and that'll be on another Wall of Famer, Tony Taylor. So uh, that that's coming up on the website.
0: Very cool. I'll make sure I check it out, and you too, out there listening to the podcast as well. Uh, one final note before we wrap up the show I know we were going over some topics we wanted to bring up during the show, and on Twitter uh, in the past couple of days, I, I saw a picture of Charlie Manuel. And the new coach for the Phillies, Joe Girardi, getting together for breakfast uh, somewhere. And it, it just the picture, I loved it. I just blew up the picture on my screen and, and looked at it. And it was just just the look that Charlie Manuel had on his face, like, uh, you know, and Joe Girardi was uh, priceless. Uh, I just wondered how that breakfast went. You know, uh, Joe Girardi asking probably for tips from Manuel, you know, how should I handle handle the Philly press? Or, you know, I, I just would have loved to have been a, uh, a third participant there or a fly on the wall type of thing in that situation.
1: Yeah, they were uh, – Manuel had some health problems, and he was in town being treated even over the holidays, over the Christmas and New Year's holidays, I believe, at a temple uh, – thomas jefferson university hospital and just recently got out and went back home to florida but yeah he had lunch with uh with the skipper with joe gerardi and they traded someone who knows what they had maybe some eggs or some pancakes <laughs> or french toast or something yeah. together but uh you know it's a great picture
0: yeah yeah it, it, it almost rivals and in fact it does uh, if you remember when Manuel left the phillies and he was walking out of uh, Veterans, or actually uh, Citizens Bank Park, and they they took a picture of him leaving. He had the Wawa bag. Uh, do you remember that photo? Oh, that's like yeah. the saddest it,
1: picture in Philly's it, history.
0: It is. It's like you know.
1: I think that's even sadder than Mitch Williams with Joe Carter rounding the bases.
0: Yeah, you, it just, it's just something that's burned into the the memory banks, and then you see this story, and it's it's. It's an uplifting. It's you know the Charlie Manuel. I didn't hear he was sick. By the way, I hope he's okay. Didn't follow that too closely uh, in the news or on Twitter, but yeah, I he says he said okay. that
1: he was doing good. In fact, I think he put out he put out publicly that he was he was feeling good. So
0: very cool. So uh, check that news out when you can. Cool stuff there, and uh, we'll be talking a whole lot more Phillies baseball as time goes on. There's plenty to to bring up subplots, uh, who's going to be the best starter on the Phillies, that sort of stuff, and I can't wait uh, to talk more.
1: Sounds good, Rich, Anytime.
0: Sponsor an ad on the Phillies Talk Podcast. Support our show and let people know about your business. Email us today. Follow us on Twitter at FightinPhillies or on our website, fightinphillies.com. Thanks for listening to Philly's Talk. We'll have much more baseball talk on our next show. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy!